Would you like to hear an amazing fact? I always like to start with an amazing fact. There's a man, he's called the man with the iron stomach. Michael Latitao. Uh, he has this incredible ability to eat almost anything. Uh, he could eat up to two pounds of metal per day from the age of nine when he started eating ground glass uh, until he died in 2008. They say of natural causes, but I am suspicious. <laughs> he would eat just about anything. Now, when he was eating metal, they'd grind it up first because it would break all your teeth if you did that, but it seemed like his digestive system was very unique in very <laughs> thick walls, and he had hyper-strong acid in his stomach, and um, he spent, from the time he was 16, the rest of his life performing by eating all kinds of things in front of people. It's said that he had a disease called, is it pica? Yeah, pica. That they, you, you eat some non-nutritional things, and it, but it seems to have no ill effect, at least on him it didn't. Um, he could eat not only sharp metal, but he would eat uh, glass, rubber tires. He disassembled, cut up, and consumed things like bicycles, shopping carts, ate a whole television. He could eat a bed, but that would make me sick, I know. And... He's most memorable for eating an entire airplane. A Cessna 150, small plane, took him two years, ground it up, and ate it. But he said that when he ate soft things, it made him sick, if he ate like real food. Well, that's because he had ruined his appetite with all these other things. It's amazing what some people will eat. I had a lot of other facts I could share with you about that, but I thought, no, that would probably turn your stomach. Fact of life. Now, our message today is titled, You Are What You Eat. That actually springs from a saying of a French scientist years ago who said, show me what a person eats and I'll tell you who they are. You are what you eat. All of life eats. If there's life, there must be food. On the screen, you're going to see a picture. Do you know what that is? That's a kangaroo. When a kangaroo is born, it's as big as a jelly bean and doesn't even have legs yet. And that little critter somehow instinctively knows how to crawl from the place of birth through the mother's fur, which is like, for you and me like a mile, find its way into the pouch and gets into the pouch and latches onto a nipple and then it stays there and just grows. The first thing on its mind is eat. And we've all seen puppies and kittens as soon as they're born, somehow they and the mother know gotta eat. If they don't, they die. If you want to live, you need to eat. And that goes right along with what the Bible teaches. Genesis 1 verse 29, as soon as God made life, he said to Adam and Eve, See, I've given every herb of seed that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it will be for food, and also to the beasts of the earth, and every bird of the air, and every living thing that creeps on the earth, in which there is life. I have given the green herb for food. Everyone was a vegetarian back then, you know. 
man and beast. But he said, everything that has life, I've given food. We must have food to live. Again, you read in Genesis 2, verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And then it says, out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to look at, good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, someone said once that um, you are going to be a new person in seven years. You'll be a different person because the cells in your body are constantly dying and being recreated. They used to wonder if brain cells can do that, but now they've determined brain cells also can be recreated. Uh, they, your brain has a way of reforming certain stem cells and reallocating them. And it's true that your skin actually replaces itself much more quickly than your bones, so it happens at different rates. But as an average, you are virtually a different person in seven years. You've been totally replaced by what you eat. Every cell in your body is nourished and fed and supplied by food. And so, you are what you eat. Now, this is not a message on diet. I'm not going to talk about clean and unclean food. I'm not going to talk about exercise. This is not what you would think of as your typical health message. This message is really dealing with you are what you eat spiritually. The Bible makes it clear that you've got physical food and you have spiritual food. Jesus said, John 6, 26, do not labor for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Now, Jesus isn't saying it's wrong to work for your food. In fact, Paul says, those who do not work should not eat. You should work so you can have food to eat, regular food. But Christ said, don't let the priority be the physical food. That's not going to save you. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, Paul said. Sometimes we become, become so preoccupied with the physical part of life, and I believe in the health message. I want you to know that. But you realize that everybody that Jesus ever healed and resurrected then died. And people that ate the bread that he multiplied died. What we need is the bread that will help you live forever. Every physical healing is temporary. You with me? It's the healing that lasts forever that really matters to me. And that's why Jesus said, labor for this bread that doesn't perish. John 4.31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him to eat. You know the story where he was with the woman at the well and disciples had gone to buy food and, and he's so excited because he's presented the water of life to this woman who had come to the well and she's gone to tell her friends she'd accepted Jesus as the Messiah and the disciples said, oh Lord, you're hungry, here, eat. And he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Was it physical food? Or was he satisfied by something spiritually? Don't you want to have that spiritual satisfaction? says, I have food to eat you don't know about. The disciples said, who brought them food? And they're still stuck on the physical food. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Matthew 4, of course, you know, it is written, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus is quoting Moses in Deuteronomy. So there is a spiritual food. Job 23, verse 12. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips, 
I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food, more than the physical food. Job said we need the spiritual food. Do you have that priority? If you have to miss a meal, spiritual or physical, what does the Bible say is the most important? Yeah, I think fiber is good, but it's not going to save you from temptation later in the day. You need to make sure that you're feeding your soul. Now, the Bible furthermore teaches that what you choose to eat can be a matter of life and death. Most of us do not have the stomach of Michael Luatito. Um, we know that some things you eat are not good for you, but that's also true spiritually. Notice in Genesis chapter 2, you go to verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And the way that's worded is, In dying you will die. A process of dying would begin. And Adam and Eve, when they were then cut off from the tree of life and they'd eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they began to die. Adam lived 930 years and he died. And Seth died and Enos died on down the line and you and I die. We've not been able to eat from the tree of life. In heaven we'll be able to eat that again. All of that happened because they ate something they weren't supposed to eat. And it caused death. Now, if that's true physically, y'all know there's things you could eat or drink that'll kill you. But if that's true physically, is it true spiritually? By eating the wrong thing, you become the wrong person because you are what you eat. And it can kill you. And this is probably one of the most important messages I could preach to our people and anyone watching in our day and age. I think the Christian church is committing suicide in degrees by their spiritual diet. The Christian church in North America and much of the world is being killed because they're being fed the devil's poisoned food. Unlike Daniel and his friends that would not be defiled by the Babylonian buffet, most of the Christian church is eating Nebuchadnezzar's food right now. And it's killing them. What you eat can make a difference. Ask Adam and Eve. Numbers 11.4 the mixed multitude, they weren't satisfied with God's food, and so they started craving. And they said, oh, man, we remember back in Egypt, we liked the food of our bondage. Wish we had that again. So God listened to their crying, and they, clouds of quail came through, and they killed and ate, and they ate and stuffed themselves and gorged. And the Bible says that the anger of the Lord was aroused, and the Lord struck the people with a great plague, and many died. Craving and eating something because they weren't satisfied with God's food. So, Pastor Doug, what are you talking about? Christianity in America and around the world is in crisis. Give you a few facts. Stay with me. When I start reading surveys and facts, people glaze over, but I want you to listen. About 64% of Americans call themselves Christians today, and you and I know of that 64%, a lot of them have no idea what it means to really be a Christian. That might sound like a lot, but 50 years ago, it was 90%. Do you see a trend to go from 90% to 64%? According to a 2020 Pew Research Study Center, 
The same survey said that the Christian majority in the U.S. is declining. Why? Because you are what you eat. Say that with me. Because you are what you eat. Another statistic in Pew Research Center polling 2004, Americans oppose same-sex marriage by a margin of 60% to 31%. Some of you remember in Proposition 8, we voted here in California that marriage was supposed to be between one man and one woman. That was overturned by Governor Brown. He was Attorney General back then. Basically, he overturned the vote of the people. But look what happened in 15 years. They knew that if they bombarded people with propaganda, they could change their thinking. Why? Say it with me. Because you are what you eat. So what happened? Now today, it's completely reversed. Now 61% are in support and 30% are opposed to same-sex marriage. Did truth change? Or did we slowly change because of our diet? When a young adult goes to college for the first time and they're saying goodbye to friends, family, and their faith, according to the Barna Group, roughly, Barna Group is another survey group, roughly 70% of high school students who enter college as professing Christians will leave with little or no faith. Why? Say it. You are what you eat. They get into that college environment surrounded by cynicism and atheism and professors that want to change their thinking and friends that think life is a party and little by little after two or four years of that they start to second guess their faith and they change. How many of you have seen this happen? Yeah, I'm very glad to say it doesn't always happen. Praise God. I know some young people that have gone through college and stood firm for their faith and been witnesses like Daniel and his friends in Babylon because they were rooted in truth. Now what makes the difference? The survey indicated that significantly more young people are walking away from their faith, roughly 60%, at a much earlier age, not just college, between 15 and 17. And they're staying away. Along those same lines, significant numbers of people the age of 50 and older are disengaging from their faith. That is an unusual trend. Dr. Arnie Cole from the Center for Biblical in, uh, Engagement said, the first thing we've found out is that the USA is not really a Christian nation anymore by what we define as a follower of Christ, someone saved by grace, they believe the word. Cole said, the life of an individual who reads the Bible four or more times a week is radically different from the norm. In other words, for a person to be a growing Christian, he observed through surveys, they need to read their Bible four or more times a week. If not, they are getting more food from the world than the Word, and you are what you eat. Less than 1% of U.S. evangelical Christians say they avoid worldly entertainment. That's a research study by Gray Matter Research. Less than 1% of North American Christians say they avoid worldly entertainment. So, what's happening? Christians are swimming against a tsunami of worldly media and we're trying to maintain our faith but it's eroding our values and our morals. 
just think about it. You look around. Everywhere you look, people are getting killed because they're walking into the street staring at phone screens. We've all got hungry eyes and hungry ears. The Bible says that. Solomon said, Ecclesiastes 1.8, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So when we talk about you are what you eat, we're not talking about putting it in your mouth. When it comes to your soul, it typically comes through the senses of your hearing and your eyes. You know, maybe you can make a case for your nose, but I don't know how that would work. But that information comes in through our ears and through our eyes. Now listen to what Isaiah said about who is going to be in heaven. Isaiah chapter 33, I'll read verse 15 and 16. Who among us will dwell with devouring fire? It's not talking about hell. It's talking about the presence of the Lord as a consuming fire, being in the glory of God. Who can dwell with that? Who among us will dwell with everlasting burnings? Again, it's not talking about hell. That could confuse you. It's talking about the everlasting glory of God. As I read on, you'll see. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. Who can abide the glory and presence of God? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He who despises the gain of oppression. He who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes. Someone tries to bribe you and you go, no, no, no. My hands are open. I'm not taking a bribe. That's what he's talking about. Now listen to this. This is what I want you to catch. He who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. God will watch over him. God will protect. God will bless. But saying this is the person who's going to live in the presence of God. The one who stops his ears from hearing evil, shuts his eyes from beholding wickedness. Because you are what you eat, meaning what are you taking in to your eyes? What are you taking in to your ears? This is so important. You know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, what's in the heart? Have any of you ever been stunned when you hear young children cursing? And, and even teenagers, it's amazing to me, they'll be in a public place surrounded by adults and when I was a kid, if I cursed around an adult, you might get slapped. Now that you can't do that, but... Um, or your mother would put a soap in your mouth. Anyone? <laughs> My mom did that to me once. And she used liquid soap. It wasn't like a bar of soap. She put dishwashing soap in my mouth. <laughs> but now, you'll be in a public place and teenagers will be talking to themselves and they're just cursing up a storm. And uh, it used to be illegal. Did you know that? Profanity in public was considered illegal. Why are they doing that? You are what you eat. They're either hearing it at home, God forbid, or they hear it from their friends, or it's in the movies that they watch and the songs that they listen to. They're not just waking up and dreaming up those words. They're consuming it. And as they continue to consume it, pretty soon it comes out of their hearts and they don't even have a filter. It just becomes part of them because they change. And, and this to me, if 
Friends, I, I try and think of ways to help you visualize the importance of what I'm saying. And all I could tell you is that if there were some tangible way that you could come and press a button or flip a switch or take a pill and you'd be guaranteed of eternal life, how many of you would, would you do it? You'd press the button? You'd take the pill? Whatever. Flip the, if I can know I have eternal life. All right, here's what it is. Closest I, I can get to. Guard your soul. What you're eating. Now, you are the sum total of what you've taken into your senses through your life. It is amazing to me when I go to China, it's such a complicated language. They got like 2,000 um, characters and, and the people learn to speak it. And it's amazing. Even the kids learn to speak it. And I think, it's, how can they do that? Well, they're listening to us and they're going, how can you learn English? It makes no sense at all. I thought I'd give you a little... You know, when I started learning Spanish, I really appreciated how bad English was. Because in Spanish, they've got rules. And they consistently follow the rules. English, we break all the rules of speech. English can be confusing. This is a poem. We'll begin with a box, and the plural is boxes. But the plural of ox became oxen, not oxes. One fowl is a goose, but two are called geese. Yet the plural of moose should never be meese. You may find a lone mouse or a nest full of mice, yet the plural of house is houses, not heiss. If the plural of man is always called men, then why shouldn't the plural of pan be pen? If I spoke of my foot and show you my feet and point to a boot, would a pair be a beat? If one is a tooth and a whole set are teeth, why shouldn't the plural of booth be called beef? <laughs> then one may be that and three would be those, yet hat in the plural would never be hose. And the plural of cat is cats, not coes. We speak of a brother and also of brethren. But though we say mother, we never say methren. <laughs> then the masculine pronouns are he, his, and him. But imagine the feminine being she, shiz, and shim. There is no egg and eggplant. I'm done with my poem. Nor ham and hamburger. Neither is an apple or a pine in pineapple. English muffins weren't invented in England. Where else would you park your car on a driveway and drive your car on a parkway? In what other language do people recite a play and play at a recital? We ship by truck and we send cargo by ship. We have noses that run and feet that smell, which means you're built upside down. How can a slim chance and a fat chance be the same? And while a wise man and wise guys are opposite. I like this. If teachers are taught, then why don't preachers prot a sermon? <laughs> now, I say all of that to illustrate a point. You have no problem speaking in English. You understand it. It makes sense to you. Why? You've been taking it in all your life. And it becomes normal. You are what you eat. You take in information. You take in... Uh, policies, you take in world views, you just got to be very careful what you take in because what goes in comes out. You know, in computer programming, they've got a saying, you know what it is? Garbage in, garbage out. 
Garbage in, garbage out. Computers are dumb. They're going to just regurgitate whatever you put in. And uh, garbage in, garbage out also works with people too. If we spend the majority of our viewing time, listening time, listening to the world's propaganda, and even in the political realm, you know, as election season approaches, I just got to turn it off. I used to listen. I found it just got me all worked up. And you go from one channel to another. You know, they're all biased a little bit. One reason I switch around is because otherwise you only get one perspective. And I think God wants us to think for ourselves. Otherwise, you're basically being programmed. You need to be able to think for yourself. Be very careful, little eyes, what you see. You know that song? Be very careful, little eyes, what you see. Our Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Any of you teach this to kids in cradle roll? I just learned it secondhand because I didn't go to cradle roll. How careful are you being what you eat? You know, the Bible says that uh, adultery is a sin. We all know that. No one will argue that point. Also tells us, do not covet your neighbor's spouse. And Jesus said that you can commit adultery in your heart. It's not just the action, it's the attitude. And many of us sitting here right now are thinking, praise God, I've been faithful. I've never cheated on my spouse. But I will spend hours watching TV programming where people commit adultery and I enjoy it vicariously. Is that a sin? Does that erode our morals? Is it any wonder you're living in a country where the divorce rate really hasn't gotten much worse than 50%? You know why? Because a lot of people just don't get married anymore. Because the sacred idea about marriage and the rights and privileges of marriage, sex is like shaking hands. Isn't that right? How did it get that way? Why? You are what you eat. If people are consuming information that's telling them that, you know, sex is just a little more intimate greeting, then they're going to start acting that way. And it's going to affect their values. And it shouldn't surprise anybody then if you look at the statistics that we're seeing and you see Christianity in the country is going uh, in a tailspin. It's because you are what you eat. So how's that going to change? The Bible says... Ho, everyone that thirsts, Isaiah 55. You who have no money, come, buy, eat. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? We're eating Cessna 150s. Listen to me and eat what is good. So, 1 John 2.16, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but the world and the world is passing away in the lust there are people with their ears and their eyes are lusting after the world and that's what they're feeding on that's what they're becoming like James says you cannot be a friend of God and a friend of the world the world's going to hate you if you stand up for God the consumption of Christians needs to change if we're going to have a revival if you personally are going to grow you can't be feeding on the spiritually negative nutrients of the world. So, why do we eat? 
Well, a few reasons. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 16. I'm going to read this twice, so stay with me. Solomon says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Do you live to eat or eat to live? So the first thing I consider when I eat physical food, first thing I consider, is it good for me? I am someone who reads the ingredients when I go to the store because I know that sometimes the label looks good, but it's not good for you. So I want to know, is it going to give me strength? Now, you know, sometimes it doesn't mean you don't ever have a treat. I'm just saying the bulk of your food needs to be healthy because that's what you are. It's supplying the cells in your body. You eat for strength. How many of you remember the story? First Kings 19, Elijah is running for his life through the desert. And he's sleeping under a broom tree. And he's exhausted. And an angel wakes him up and says, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and drank this food the angel gave him. And he went in the strength of that food. What did that food do for him? It gave him strength. Jonathan, during a battle, dipped his rod into some honey on the ground, and he said, it enlightened my eyes. Food is designed to strengthen you, to nourish you. He went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. There's something about the food that God gave him that sustained him. We need that kind of food before the time of the end. Amen? It gives us strength for the journey. I remember reading a story about the, call it the Burke Willis expedition. It was the first expedition. The people in Australia had never been through the interior and they were trying to find a route. So they started out with a great big caravan of people and it got bogged down, finally narrowed down to about 20 people, made it, tried to make it across the center of Australia. It's a vast desert. And they got stuck. At first, they were blocked by swamps. When they reached the north, they came back, ran out of food, and began to starve. The natives showed them there was a plant that they could eat called the nardu plant. But it's not supposed to be the principal part of your diet. The purpose of the nardu is just to take away the hunger pains because it has zero nutritional value. In fact, the nardu plant not only has zero nutritional value, it has negative nutritional value because you use energy trying to digest it, and it not only lacks thiamine, but it ruins the thiamine in your system, which is the component that helps your body utilize the starch and glucose. And so they were not only not getting any nutritional value, they were destroying the ability to get nutrition. So listen to what um, I mean, Wills, four days before he died, he wrote about eating the nardu plant. And he said in 1860, four days before he died from starvation. Starvation on Nardu is by no means very unpleasant, except for the weakness one feels and the utter inability to move oneself. As far as the appetite's concerned, it gives me the greatest satisfaction. He was being filled with totally non-nutritive food, and they died of starvation. Can that happen to Christians when we're feeding on the world? Die spiritually. We think, oh, we're full. They're eating junk food. 
Uh, you know, I know we all crave a little bit of sweets every now and then, but you see young people now that are addicted to YouTubes. And they're walking into telephone poles, going down the street, Facebook, addicted to social media. And they're so preoccupied with stuff that really is not meaningful, has no nutritional value. It's hard to believe there was a, a world for the last 6,000 years where people didn't have smartphones. When we were in Europe, I left my smartphone at the hotel room. I started to get wigged out. There's no way I was going to go back. We were miles away in Rome. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, Doug, you probably lived 50 years without a smartphone, and you survived. I might make it three hours. But I was ashamed of myself, thinking, I'm so used to Googling it and finding out where I'm at, and Google Maps. and." I thought, man, how did, how did the world survive? So would you agree with me that things are different now than they used to be? We are being bombarded by information. Used to be, 100 years ago, if you wanted to hear music, you needed to learn to play an instrument or sing. Before Thomas Edison invented a way to record audio, people had to play and sing. You didn't just push a musician in the track of your wagon and start playing him. That's the way. And you heard, you know, a little bit of music. Now you can put enough music on your smartphone to listen all the way to the planet Pluto and back and never hear the same thing twice. People are just being saturated by the information and entertainment of the world. And God says, be still and know that I'm God. We have no quiet time with God. We're not praying Feasting on the Word. Now, you're in the world. You're going to get some of the world. You're going to know what's going on out there. You've got to compensate by deliberately choosing to feed your soul the bread of life, friends. Amen? Amen. Why do we eat? We eat for strength. When do we eat? Ecclesiastes 10, 16 and 17. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is a son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time. Is there a good time to eat? Do you realize you're not supposed to eat all the time? I was talking with uh, Dr. Scharfenberg. I saw him in the lobby. He's here somewhere. We did an interview, and I sa he said, you know, there's an epidemic of obesity in North America. And I said, what's the clue? He said, one thing, no snacking between meals. You would cure obesity. You might be overweight, but you'd cure obesity. Don't snack between meals. There's a time to eat. So when do we eat? The Bible tells us, it came to pass on the third day early in the morning there were thunderings and lightnings, and they went up, and God gave them the Ten Commandments. In the morning, Mark 1.35, Now in the morning, having risen a long time before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. We need to give God the very best of our day. Spend time with him. Calibrate our compass. In the morning, the manna fell from heaven. In the morning, they waited too long. The sun came up. It melted. You lose it. If you wait too long, you become preoccupied with the cares of this life. And it may be too late to feed your soul. So I talked about why we eat. I talked about when to eat. What do we eat? Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. Your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Pastor Doug, 
I wish I could say that. I read the Bible and it doesn't give me joy and rejoicing. I struggle. Oh, you, you ever heard a parent say, don't eat junk food, you're going to ruin your appetite. One reason the Christians are not spending more time eating the word is because their appetites have been perverted by the entertainment and the food of the world. And so by comparison, the Bible feels bland. When we were just in Europe, in um, one country, I had a hard time finding vegan vegetarian food. But I found bread. And I got hungry enough where I started eating just bread. And you know, there's a Spanish proverb. It says, hunger is the best sauce. Some of you are saying, oh, I don't like the Bible. You're just not hungry. If you're hungering for truth, you'd find it sweeter than honey. And when I was hungry, that bread tasted pretty good. And I took my time chewing it so I could savor and enjoy it. Sometimes we just don't have an appetite for the Word of God because our, our stomachs and our appetites are so fevered with the entertainment of the world that it just it seems bland. We've ruined our appetite. One of the things a doctor might ask you if you say you're not feeling well, he'll say, how's your appetite? And Jesus is asking you today, how's your appetite for my word? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? I might need to repent and tell the Lord, Lord, change my appetite. Do you know you can change your appetite? I used to eat meat three times a day. I loved it. I became convicted it wasn't good for me. By the way, before I was a Seventh-day Adventist, just from what I learned, right now it would make me sick because my whole diet has changed. Now, while we're talking about eating spiritual food, I think you all know it is hard to change your habits of eating. Anyone say amen? There's 50 million people in this country that are dieting. And they'll tell you it is hard to change your habits of eating. That's not only true in the physical realm, it is true in the spiritual realm. But if you're going to make it, whether it's a real diet or a spiritual diet, it takes effort. It's a struggle. You've got to consciously say, you know, I am changing the channel. I am going to cover my eyes. I am going to plug my ears. I'm not going to listen to them use God's name in vain. I'm not going to watch these programs as they're full of bloodshed and adultery and dishonesty. And you can go through all Ten Commandments, and it's there. And it's what, you know, and the people that make the movies realize in order to keep the audience coming, they get numb after a while because they're so used to the regular bloodshed, it's got to go to the extreme in the next film. And it gets more and more extreme, and they keep pushing the envelope further and further, and we become desensitized to what used to make us blush. You are what you eat. You give a baby a habanero pepper and you'll have to take it to emergency. But you know, gradually, by mixing that in the food little by little, pretty soon, they start craving it. We can get used to anything. We need to pray God will help us to change our diets. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? I probably don't need to go down the road of pornography. I think it's self-evident to everybody here. That's an epidemic in our society. 
and God can and needs to give you the victory. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, what's the determining factor of what we eat spiritually? Whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is any praise, think, meditate on these things. Now, they didn't have TV and radio back when Paul wrote this. He's talking about just what you choose to think about. But friends, it would be obvious then that it's hard to think about pure, good, holy, clean, noble things when you're watching filth and violence, which are the characteristics of Sodom and the days of Noah. Violence filled the land. Immorality. Sexual perversion. And if... Now I'm talking to myself as I'm talking to you, so we're in this together, amen? amen? But we've got a good church. I'm so proud, hopefully in the right kind of way, of our church. Evangelistic, nice people, loving, Christian, sacrificial, mission-minded. But let's be careful not to measure ourselves by ourselves among ourselves so if we're grading on the curve with what other churches are doing or what they're like, you're all wrong. We need to measure ourselves by Christ. Amen. We need to find out what does God say is holy and pure. Because that's what we're going to be judged by. We, it's not that we're better than others. We've got to look at Christ and say, he's my example. So what do we do? Esau sold his birthright for a pot of beans. He wanted something to eat. It does make a difference what you eat, friends. We need to hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Psalm 119, verse 37, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. How many of you want revival? Turn away our eyes from beholding worthless things and God can revive you. And pray that God will change our diet. Jesus said, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples thought, oh, he's talking about bread. And he said, no, no, I'm talking about the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's false teachings out there. And you're not going to be able to discern that if you don't have the truth spiritually in your mind. And you know what the risk is? If we don't pray that God will transform our diets and our habits if you receive not a love of the truth that you might be saved, then God will allow the devil to send you strong delusion and you will believe a lie. Let's face it, there's a lot of people out in our culture that believe there's nothing wrong with two men getting married. Well, the Bible says it's wrong. It's just changing our culture. Why? They're being bombarded. And they will be very sincere. And the time is going to come when people who are killing you will be very sincere. Jesus said they'll think they're serving God. That's what Paul was doing. They've been deceived by what they eat, by the information that they're taking in. Why do you think it is in the last days the beast power is going to control buying and selling? What's the first thing we're going to miss? Food on the shelves. Any of you remember at the beginning of COVID when they told everyone to lock down store shelves being stripped? And if people cannot control their physical diet, they'll sell their souls for food. 
And some cannot control their spiritual diet, so they will compromise their thinking. Is this making sense? So, in summary, we need to feed on the bread of life. We need to drink the living water. We need to be very careful about what we're taking in. Don't assume because everybody's doing it that God doesn't care. Uh, we are in a world where the media is just pouring out a waterfall of obscene information, untrue information. And if you continue to take it in, it will alter your worldview. God wants us to not only live it, He wants us then to demonstrate it that we can turn the tide. Amen? And Christianity revived will go like fire through the world because people are looking for the real thing.